Today I want to talk about a guilty conscience. The title of my sermon is A Heart Sprinkled from a Guilty Conscience. Now, does this one say, yes, guilty? Some versions will say an evil conscience. But an evil conscience is really the same because anything evil is not good for us. As, As children of God... Anything evil that the Lord proclaims is evil is not good for us. Evil is never good for a saint. We're all saints. Because we've been paid for by the blood of Jesus. So, the conscience, uh, I'll use for a text today, uh, Hebrews 10. Uh, If you'd put that up, Hebrews 10, we're going to read from 22 through 25. It says, let us draw near with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we look at verse uh, 22, it says, Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Anytime uh, this is taken out of the book of Hebrews, anytime you read the book of Hebrews, the easiest way to understand Hebrews is pretend you're Jewish. And pretend you went through all these rituals and sprinklings and washings that they had, the Jewish rituals, and this makes perfect sense. To us, as non-Jewish people, we would, uh, okay, uh, it's the Bible, I get it, that's good. But to a Jewish person, all these things were meant for one thing. All these sprinklings and washings were meant for one thing. They were meant for purification. All of us need purification. And back in the Mosaic Law, these were all implemented for purification. Why? We've got a holy God. He does not, he does not, uh, he has taken care of sin. He does not like sin. And so there was always a purification. Uh, sometimes when we look at guilty or evil, you know, we kind of started studying this on, on Thursday night. But uh, an evil conscience if you have an evil conscience, it doesn't mean you're thinking of evil things all the time and stuff like that, but it's more of, I have, uh, if my conscience is evil, it's not doing me any good. I have a guilty conscience. Anybody ever felt guilty? A couple of you, you want to come up here and tell, no, I'm just kidding. But you know, guilt, is this too loud for everybody? Is this, is this just me? Okay? Okay. All right. Uh, we can see that uh, a guilty conscience can be painful or even fatal. And we're going to look at uh, uh, David in uh, Psalm 51, uh, verses 1 through 14. And we, can, we remember that David, uh, this is when David had sinned with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. And, and this is what he's saying now. He says, have mer- see the times he mentions guilt in here. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. 
For I know my transgressions and my sin are always before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth and sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy uh, and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Uh, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. David is feeling uh, guilt here. Can you imagine the guilt that David had? Uh, you, you committed adultery, and to cover the sin, you had the husband uh, murdered. Uh, probably lack of a better way to say it, but if you had any conscience at all, you'd feel guilty. Well, this is his prayer. This was his compassion to the Lord. Uh, that he that he cried out to. Another one would be uh, Peter. We'll recall with Peter. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to read. I'm going to finish reading. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't read the last part of Psalm 51. Created me a clean heart, O God. Remember that song. Created me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. For you are uh, God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. So here we see the, the far reaches of devastation of guilt brought in to righteousness. He looks, well, how does he get his righteousness? He wasn't even under the new covenant that we're under, but he knew God. He knew him, and he knew that I could be cleansed. I think, I think it's in Psalm 32 where David said, blessed is the man whose sin is not held against him. Just think of that. There's so many people today that they know their sins are held against them and they're guilty, but they don't go to the place that relieves them of their guilt. Now, David did. David knew that. Now, Peter, we're familiar with Peter. Uh, when he told the Lord, he says, I'll go to prison for you and I'll die for you. And, uh, and the Lord told him, he said, well, you know, you're going to, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to, uh, you're going to, uh, twice, you're going to die me three times. Here's what he said. In Luke 22, 61, 62, it says, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will just disown me three times. And he went outside and whipped, wept bitterly um, guilt. He was overwhelmed with guilt. Uh, that word that they use here, uh, when he wept bitterly, that's extreme, extreme weight-loading anguish. What have I done? How do I get out of this? And he knew Jesus. He knew him well. And he had some great uh, interaction with, with Jesus, and yet this is what happened. This is what guilt did to him. <clears throat> Another one we see, uh, obviously, with Judas. And we see that in Matthew 27, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> it says, early in the morning, all the chief priests, now remember, uh, Judas is betrayed. He was one of the one of the inner circle, one of the twelve apostles, and betrayed Jesus. Uh, <clears throat> early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. <clears throat> so they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. 
And when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, guilty, overcome with grief. And again, just like when we talk about with Peter, this word, uh, seized with remorse, or how they have translated that, is, is another, is an unbearable state of being under guilt. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. So if I give that back, I'll at least give that back. My guilt will be gone. I, I won't have any guilt anymore. Here, I, I, you know, take that. Well, he knew that really didn't do it, but at least it's something that he thought he could do to relieve that turmoil, that anguish in his mind. He said, I have sinned. He knows this now. He says, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What a horrible, horrible feeling. And of course, what did they say? What's that to us? That's your responsibility. So Jesus threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and hanged himself. So we can see how guilt is even fatal. A guilty conscience is fatal, devastating. Our conscience is really a culmination of all our values and our boundaries. We all have a conscience. Every one of us have a conscience. And we talk about people, well, he can't have a conscience. Well, he does, but it's it's probably got different values and perimeters than you do, or I do, or any of us. Um, You know, um, and it's formulated in our heart. You know, our conscience is formulated about what goes into our heart and our thinking processes. And all of a sudden we come up with some boundaries and values that are absolutes. We don't cross them. You know, to one person, uh, like, like say you're speeding down the road, and one person, speed means nothing. Ah, if I don't get caught, whatever. You get another person, they'll drive 60 miles an hour. They ain't going to go over a mile over because of their conscience. Or maybe you said something to someone, and it just bothers you. You know, our conscience. Our conscience has set a boundary there. Um, I, I'm going to give you an example. This morning when I, when I came up, um, because we were kind of last-minute things here. Um, normally, if I would have a sermon, I'd give it to Cindy, and she'd have it all ready uh, for Sunday morning, no problem. So I come here this morning, and I asked Natalie, I said, Natalie, can you do this for me? And uh, Natalie says, uh, well, um, I think so. Uh, and I told her, and I told, this is what I told her, I said, well, I got to know, you either can or you can't. I got to know, because if you can, I'm just going to go the other way. I'm going to read the scripture myself and not have it up you know, on the board. And right away, that bothered me. So I said to Natalie, I, 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 hope, I hope she got it. She's sitting back there now. I, I, I said, you know, I don't mean, I don't mean to be mean here. I, I'm just, you know, I, 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 I really, I, we're going to go this way or this way. But my conscience bothered me. And it still bothered me right to this point. Now I can say it and she hears it. You forgive me, Natalie? Okay, we're good. See, it's clean. But that's what our conscience does. You know, and another thing in our conscience, we might say something about someone. Have you ever done this? Have you ever said, have you ever been in a group of people talking? And you said this, oh, you know, they, I guess they did, they did this too and this too. And, and when you walk away, you drive your way or whatever, you say, I shouldn't have said that. Have I ever done that? 
Your conscience. No, that was not right. And so our conscience has such a vital part of our life. And when we formulate our conscience, we formulate it, and we have a right and a wrong, rights and wrongs, evil or good, and they're a part of us. And they, they, actually what they are is an alarm system. You know, if I, if I do something or say something, uh, and, or not do something, uh, and that pops up, it's an alarm. It, uh, it goes off. Oh, that was not right. And you know, if we got a good conscience, a clear conscience, or a clean conscience, that alarm won't go off. It won't. It's a good system the Lord had set for us. My earliest, uh, my earliest recollection of guilt, you know, obviously we're before that, is you're a little kid, you're told something and that's wrong or whatever, and you feel guilty. And don't, doesn't it hurt when you see a child that feels guilty? A small child. You know, they feel guilty. They don't know what to do with it. You know, they just think they're bad, and, and of course, then you've got to console them and say, no, honey, that's okay. It, you know, I'm just trying to tell you something. But they'll feel bad because their little conscience is already forming. My earliest recollection of um, uh, guilt was uh, um, when I was quite young. I don't even know how old I was. Maybe I wasn't even going to school. Probably 15 years old. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I remember taking this um, jar of peanut butter, and I, I can see I can see myself leaving the house. I went out in a cornfield, and I just dug in that peanut butter jar with my fingers. And you know, because I tell you, stuff tasted really good years ago. I'm serious. I mean, peanut butter was. I'm sure they were fresher, or, but but I mean, you know, like V8 juice. When I was a kid, you couldn't. That was that was from heaven. It was so good, and we didn't have it a lot. But when we did, I mean, it was gone in no time. So I mean, this peanut butter was was evidently worth taking out of the cupboard and going into the cornfield and eating it. You know, and I still remember it after seventy some years. So. We had a, we met with some people that night. It was a, it was a family thing, a birthday party or something. I knew that everybody in that room knew that I had taken that peanut butter. I knew it. I, I, I don't know if I could have had a little hole or closet to crawl into. I would have. I felt so guilty. But what, what was it based on? And that's another thing. We can base our conscience on wrong things. We really can. You take another another faith or another another religion. They absolutely would not do this or will not do that, and it's wrong. So our conscience can be formed good or bad by what is formulated as truth in our heart. <coughs> so in Hebrews uh, 10.22, it says, let us, not, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having hearts sprinkled from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I'm going to do just a little bit of reading here. An evil conscience is a conscience that continues to feel the guilt of sin. An evil conscience is a conscience still burdened, and an evil conscience is troubled conscience. 
An evil conscience is a conscience diseased by guilt. Guilt is heavy. It is oppressive and by its very nature suffocates the soul. Guilt is inward and deeply affects the heart and mind, even to our spirit. Guilt can affect a total person. Guilt will not allow one to be emotionally or spiritually stable or healthy. We can live under the burden of guilt, but we cannot resolve guilt. And then our living will be painful, burdened, empty. Chronic guilt is a thief who steals the fullness of one's life. Do you know people that are chronically guilty? I think we all do. They're chronically guilty. They're always guilty. I'm always wrong. The guilt, the guilty soul is joyless. Guilt, like a strong man, holds the soul captive and will not yield to arguments of denial. Real guilt is cast in steel. It allows nothing to break its power. It rules over our mind, our emotions, and our heart. Ultimately, our entire personality is deeply affected, for guilt brings its presence to our daily life. Every day, when we carry guilt, it involves every moment of our life. Guilt is like a slow-growing virus that works silently and invisibly, but all the while destroying one cell at a time. It can attempt, one can attempt to deny guilt, but denying real guilt is unwise, for the denial of real guilt eventually cripples the conscience. If we deny it, we're never going to get out of it. Ultimately, guilt or healthy conscience <clears throat> survive. Ultimately, uh, guilt or a healthy conscience survives, but not both. It, they don't occupy the, the same person. A good conscience leads the way to a healthy, li- uh, healthy uh, life, while chronic guilt leads only to <clears throat> leads only to emptiness, pain, and emotional fatigue. And a guilty conscience. Has a lot of cousins, <clears throat> uh, whether it's rejection, despair, uh, depression, uh, loneliness, uh, an unhealthy view of ourselves, self-loathing, self-hatred, all of these things. All are these they they grab all these little critters come around you when we have a guilty conscience. But on a good side of that. Jesus is the only one who is able to break the bond of guilt. He completely frees one from the guilt of every sin, every sin. Can you imagine a Savior that only partially saved? In other words, all my sins are forgiven except this one, this one, this one, this one. That's not a complete Savior, is it? Or maybe it's a... Uh, maybe it's a uh, condition that I will take all your sins away under certain conditions. That's not how he does it. When he, what he did 2,000 years ago on the cross, he did for all time, for all sin, for one time. And it was complete. So there's no sins. Okay, Lord, will you forgive me for swearing? Will you forgive me for getting drunk last night? Will you forgive me, Lord, for lying? But you know what? I 
got that big one back there. I don't know if you can forgive that one. That's horrible. If I told that to everybody listening to me, they would all they would all give a thumbs down. Oh, did you hear what he did? But Lord, you did. You forgave it. You forgave all sin. <clears throat> he died for all sins and he frees from the guilt of every sin. Little sins, big sins, the unspeakable. When we accept and confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior of our life, he then takes all our sins and everyone is placed on his bloody back. He becomes our sin offering, the Lamb of God. As people of faith, we can accept that punishment for sin was born by Jesus. He is our Savior because he bore the guilt and penalty of our sins. If we have sinned, and then we turn from our sins and ask forgiveness, for he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. So if we as believers are standing on what Jesus did for us, if we're doing it correctly, our guilt is gone. If we, if we are retaining guilt, we need to reassess that. And it's a very simple process. Well, we need to reassess that. If I'm retaining guilt, why am I retaining guilt? Well, in Hebrews uh, 10.22, it tells us to draw near with a, with a full assurance of faith and <clears throat> by simply believing what he said. He gives his word, and, you know, it's our responsibility to possess that. I want to possess what happened at the cross. I want to possess the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I want to possess all these things. That's my responsibility. I want to, I want to, I want to process that and possess it. Not just an awareness. We just can't know it. How many, don't, don't we know a lot of people just know? I know Jesus died for my sin. But if we're, if we're harboring a guilt, then we're just proclaiming it. We're not, we're not downloading it. We're not pulling it inside. <clears throat> By faith, we're to receive the atoning work of Christ. And if we reckon it so, and we verbally confess the work of Christ, he died for us and we are to possess the reality of it. Christ <clears throat> is the answer to our guilt. There's no other answer to our guilt. The Lord takes all our sins and all our guilt and places it on Christ. Once placed on Christ, we are no longer guilty. We have been redeemed and pardoned. We have been loosed. The doors of the jail are open and we are set free. And this is why we can rid ourselves and how we can rid ourselves of a guilty conscience. You know, I was reading through this and I, 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 I had, you know, so many thoughts about how, how we just, sometimes I just, we walk through the motions and really don't. Because if we have a clear or clean conscience, do you know? Do you know what? Know what other little uh, companions come in? Joy, peace, love, goodness, kindness—all those things. Just to start, they're just to start stimulating in our life. You know, we don't have to work the the the, the fruit of the spirit. Fruit is something that grows on its own. So when we we understand, when we know the totality of the cross and of the blood, and we download this ourselves, 
all the fruits of the Spirit come. You know, I kind of I kind of like how uh, I just was thinking about. Let's say the bank uh, eight o'clock tomorrow morning, from eight to ten, they're going to give out a thousand dollar bill. To anyone that wants it, uh, you just come in there and you just receive it. So you get to the bank and somebody's greeting you at the door and everything. Yeah, just step over there and they'll give you a thousand dollars. And you're going to think, what's the gimmick here? But what's the deal? You know, what, what if I, I gotta do something. There's some, something attached here. No, no, no. I tell you, you walk up that window and you hold out your hand and you have a thousand dollar bill in your hand. That's the same with receiving salvation. You, you just, you just hold out your hand and say, I'll take it, Lord. I'll take it. You, you can't get it any other way. You can't, you can't do it by not, by stopping drinking or stopping lying or stopping cheating or whatever. You can't. That isn't the way to do it. You just walk up to him and say, I'll take it, Lord. I'll just use uh, Romans uh, 10, 9, and 10. Who believes in his heart, confesses with his mouth, he will be saved. That's all. Confession of the mouth is very important. Everyone in here at one time or another should have said, Lord, I believe you died for me. And that all my sins are forgiven, and I'm going to heaven, and you're my Savior. Everyone in here should have said that. There's something, you know, there's a, there was a teaching years ago. There's something about when our own voice is heard by our brain, there is a way of this is like that foundation of the heart thing, of formulating in the heart, formulating truth in your life. And when you speak things, that's the thing to speak. I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and he is my Lord, and all my sins are abolished. He's, he forgives them. They're washed away. He doesn't even remember them. This is how we should approach that. <clears throat> I want to tell the story about, um, has anyone heard of Richard Wormbrand? Um, crucified for Christ, tor- tortured for Christ. He lived, uh, um, uh, he was, he was born in 1909. I think he died in 2001. But he was a, uh, he was a Jewish and he was living in Romania. And uh, just to shorten the story up, uh, he be- he was became a, a pastor, and this is the time when communist China was uh, uh, abolishing all churches, saying God is dead. Some of you are way too young to know this, but Nikita Khrushchev from Stalin, Nikita Khrushchev, Brezhnev, all those, you know, they they said there is no God. There is no God. God is dead, and so they put him in a in a prison camp, a communist prison camp. He was in he was in prison for 14 years. He used to hang him upside down and beat his feet, and then he'd have to sit in a squat position uh, for um, from five in the morning until 10 o'clock that night, and you couldn't you couldn't lay something against your to rest your head. Uh, you couldn't move. You couldn't scratch yourself. Your high, your hands were locked behind your back. All day. Then one year, one time they put him in solitary confinement for three years. Solitary confinement meant even the, they put cushions on the on the on the uh, 
on the guard's feet so he wouldn't he couldn't hear anything. Brutally tortured, kicked his teeth in, kicked all his teeth out. Uh, and then his wife, uh, two years later, she was taken captive. Uh, she was put in a, a communist prison camp. They left their little boy homeless and alone. And she was tortured for three years. And all this time, he thought she was dead and she thought he was dead. They even brought people to her and pretended they were prisoners with her husband and said, no, your husband's dead because we went to his funeral. They had a prison funeral. He went, we went and seen it. So the the stories of him of, of him are just are are famous. They're unbelievable. The torture he went through. But you know, you know what he tried to do all this time? He tried to win. It was just like Paul. He tried to win all the, the soldiers to Christ. And and this is how his mind thought. He thought, I'm in this prison, so I can talk to these soldiers. Otherwise they're never gonna hear. They're never going to know. <clears throat> you talk about not only not losing your faith, but using your faith. It's incredible. Anyway, I, I could go on and on about him. But um, he finally was released. And uh, the house of him and his wife, they got together and, and everything. And uh, he was right across the street from a pub. And uh, so in the middle of the night, or not early, uh, it wasn't the middle of the night, but it was the pub was still open. And, and the Lord had told him, he said, I want you to go over that pub. So he gets up, gets dressed, and says, his wife says, well, what do you, what do you, what do you can do? Well, I'm going to go over to the pub. He goes, what? They're going to make fun of us. You in a pub? A minister? So I said, well, I'm going to go along with you. So they get over there. Well, here is a Russian captain, and this is in Bulgaria. So nobody knew the language or nothing. So he's got a pistol, and he's, he's shooting it up in the air, and he's threatening to kill everybody. And he was drunk, and he says, he says, I'm going to kill everybody in here. They don't want to give me any more wine. He's already drunk. He said, no, you're drunk. You've got enough to drink. Well, uh, Richard told him, he says, well, give him another bottle of wine. So they sat down at a table and uh, gave him another bottle of wine. And, you know, and he said, you know, those Russian soldiers could drink. I mean, they could drink and drink and drink and drink and never pass out. It was incredible. See, I, he brought some more wine. He was drinking. And, and so he was talking to him. And, and uh, Wombrand starts to tell him about how he's saved, how he was in a prison camp and everything, telling him about his life, telling him about his Savior, telling him how he freed him from, from all sin. And he kind of went on and on like that. What a beautiful savior he is. Finally, the, the Russian captain stopped and says, hey, stop, stop. And by the way, one brand could speak Russian. He could speak actually nine languages. And so he said, uh, uh, hold, 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 hold. I know who you are, Mr. Wombrand. I know you, but I'm going to tell you about me. Because I was a Orthodox priest. And when the communists moved into Russia and started taking over and started destroying churches, they killed over 50,000 Orthodox priests. And they told me, we're going to kill you and your family unless you renounce Christ, unless you renounce all this religion. And so I said, I didn't want to die, so I did. 
And so I not only did, I not only renounced my religion, but I also went to the people that I actually led to the Lord and baptized and told them there's no God. What I was telling you was all false. And so I went all over the country telling people that this is all a myth. There's nothing true at all. And so then I became a prison guard and it was my job to beat people. And I would beat people all day. All I heard was yelling and screaming all day. That's all I heard. People begging for their life. But I was ordered, and if I wasn't ordered, then I would be reprimanded. So I I was ordered to beat people probably 10 hours a day. I was so bothered by this that when I went home, I just, or I went to the bar and I drank and drank. And then I went home and then I beat my wife. And then I'd get up and start all over again. Well, one brand said, well, didn't you believe? No, he said, I believed the whole time. I believed. I believed Jesus died for me. I believed that he died for the sins of the world. I believed that. But there was another part of me that was ordered to do something else just so I could save my life. And so I this, here we go, this guilt. I couldn't handle it. I, I, I drank it. I tried to drink it away. So then Wombrand told him, you know, the scriptures say that Jesus died for the sins of the world, meaning all sin, every sin. And he looked down and he said, do you know what I just told you? That I led people that were in Christ away from Christ. Wombrand said, if you can't cover those sins, he can't cover any sin. And the officer lowered his head, started crying. Got him. It got to him. He realized, I have been forgiven. He has forgiven me. As horrible as the things that I did, he has forgiven me. Olivia, if you'd like to come up. We know that Jesus restores our soul. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. He restores the guilty conscience through the atoning work of Christ. It's fit for every one of us. Every one of us experience that. We can experience a clear conscience.